0: We're in June, everybody. Do you guys know that? Come on. I need, June is exciting. It's a little bit more exciting than that. We're in June. This is good. Uh, my wife is about to have a baby like anytime. Um, she, uh, she, says to me, uh, she says to me this morning, she goes, I don't think I'll go into labor while you're preaching. And I'm like, I'm like, ah, wait, we got to have a plan for that. Uh, so anyways, we're the Rice family is excited to have finally have a, a daughter in the mix. Because uh, we just have it's just it's just testosterone at our house there's just a lot of it, so um, we're excited for that and, and we're also sort of at the end of a sermon series that we've been doing It started right at Easter time if you're if you're new listen, I know it feels like you might be coming in at the very like at the end of a movie you know and you don't know what's going on but um, but uh, listen, you're in the right place this morning we're going to land the plane in this sermon series, and basically we, it's just an, a continuation of Easter. And uh, really the early church, when, when they would get to Easter, Easter wouldn't be just one week. They would, the Easter was Easter Sunday, but then they would talk about Easter for weeks and weeks after that. And so that's kind of what we've been doing. We've been going through kind of like a, like a tour of, of some key passages in the Bible that have to do with resurrection, that have to do with new creation. And we called it How to Survive a Shipwreck because if it's true that Jesus rose from the dead, if it's true that the tomb is empty, um, if it's true that what's at the heart of what we believe as Christians, if, if it's all true, then that means no shipwreck needs sink us or it might mean also that we've been building ships that, that need to be sunk. Um, and it's okay because really like we're in good hands and everything's going to be okay. And so we've just been, we've been looking at all that and we're, we're, we're taking it in for landing today. Um, I got to, you know, here's what I try to do when I preach. Um, I try to make e- each sermon stand on its own legs because I recognize that a bunch of you probably weren't here last week. Um, some of you were, but uh, which is how church attendance goes nowadays. I mean, there's, there's more, there's fewer, fewer sort of, uh, there's spaces in between a lot of times when we come. And so... Um, I got to apologize because I tried to make this one have its own legs, but really, there's some stuff that we talked about last Sunday that really just sort of lend itself to to, uh, to this Sunday. And so, if you missed it, it's it's all online, and so you can listen to it sometime. So, um, and also, when I'm talking about these topics, especially as as for the past couple of weeks, we've kind of been looking at this this reality of, of heaven, that uh, that that the resurrection of Jesus is like a foretaste; it's like a preview of of what heaven is supposed to look like and so we've sort of been looking into heaven through the through the open door of the empty tomb and uh and so I feel a little bit out of my depth talking about some of this I mean it's just it's lofty and it's like man how do I make it simple and it's been a challenge um but uh so if you if we leave today with some so with some questions about man how does that work and wait what did he say? Um, listen, that's, that's actually not a bad thing um, because to be a disciple of Jesus means to be a learner. And so hopefully we're just launched always on our journeys of learning and reading and studying and talking and discussing. And, um, and uh, that's, that's an important part of being a disciple of Jesus. And so um, anyways, if it feels like that, um, that's what we're doing. And I'm taking us today to the very last few pages of the Bible. I'm taking you to the very last few pages of the Bible, all the way at the end of the book of Revelation. Um, The official title of that last book in the New Testament is called The Revelation, it's not Revelations, it's one revelation, it's The Revelation. And this this is a guy named John, who is writing these words down. Now I gotta tell you, I don't preach from Revelation ever. Like hardly ever, okay? Um, not because I'm afraid of it, but because it's, Revelation is one of those books in the, in the Bible that um, it's a little bit, it divides the room in half. It's a little bit like cilantro. It's, uh, it's a little bit like black licorice, you know? Um, some of you hate black licorice right and some of you just love black ri- licorice right It's a little bit like mayonnaise all right so who are the people in the room that enjoy mayonnaise? who likes mayonnaise don't be shy it's okay now who are my Bible believing people that don't like mayonnaise? okay thank you right all the real Christians in the room <laughs> um, Book of Revelation is is just one of those books where it's it's for some some people it's like oh they love it and they go to it and but then but then, others just, you know, sometimes look at those people who l- love Revelation and it's like, oh, I don't know if I like it and it's because I don't understand it and, and, and I get it. Um, so before we just dive into Revelation, I've got to give you a tiny, super short how to read the book of Revelation primer, okay? So just a little quick little tip on how to read the book of Revelation because it's a challenging book. I don't recommend starting there. Um, I'm, uh, don't put up the slide. yet, yeah, hold on. Um, but... Uh, but the book of Revelation, now we have to remember that John is writing to real people and they're going through real circumstances. And John is writing to people who are going through intense persecution and are about to go through even worse persecution and worse suffering than what they're going through now. And they don't know it yet. John knows it. We know it because we have the benefit of looking back in history. But the people who are reading this book, they, they're, they're, it, this book was useful to them. In, in, in the context that they were in. And John is giving them this vision of just sort of, of, of how to, where to find hope and where to look to for hope and where not to look to for hope. And it gave them, it gave them hope to, to withstand the, the terrible shipwreck that they were currently in and were about to face. And, uh, and so it, it meant something to them. But John is writing this. It's a genre of literature called Jewish apocalyptic li- literature, which is which is just a, it's a it's a way of writing. It's a way of sort of like using big ideas and big imagery, and uh, to be able to communicate real truths, real life truths. And uh, so it's, it's just a style of writing that we're not used that we're not used to really. Um, but there's one thing that, I, that I, f- I find is a helpful illustration for us to try to understand how to engage with, with Revelation. And uh, it's in the realm of political cartoons. You guys, you guys know political cartoons? Um, so in political cartoons, what happens is usually uh, characters are drawn with like, ex- ex- like extenuated, extenuated? That's not the word. Um, like, like extreme features, you know, so you can like easily recognize them. And they're usually just sort of like, and they're, and they're supposed to be sort of jarring. They're supposed to be sort of like uh, visceral, you know, because it's supposed to sort of get a reaction. And, and uh, you know, that's, that's a little bit like what political cartoons are for. So, so in a second, I'm going to put up um, two political cartoons, I picked two because I went back to uh, to the last election and picked two from both candidates all right just so just so it 's even all right so it 's not lopsided um, guys i 'm not getting political here at all right i 'm using this as an illustration to talk about the book of revelation so hey let 's look at these two political cartoons and you 'll know exactly you 'll recognize them you 'll see what it, exactly what they mean all right so On the left, we've got Hillary, Um, you lost by a nose, and then over here, there's uh, obviously Trump on a big throne, and he wants to build a wall, okay? So we get it, all right? We get these political cartoons. Now, here's the thing about these political cartoons. If a person from first first century Jerusalem were to magically get transported here next to you, okay, if they got into a time machine and came and they were sitting next to you looking at these, they would have... They would have no idea what's going on, right? I mean, you'd have to really explain everything that's happening in these cartoons um, because they just don't have, because you have to actually have a very sophisticated knowledge of, of American history. I mean, if somebody, if somebody from the first century came and they would be like, why is there a donkey? Like, what is that? And why does she have a long nose? Like, what is that about? And then they'd be like, you know, and who's this guy? And why is he on a throne? And, you know, why is there a giant ice wall? You know, I mean, you'd be so confused. You have no idea what's going on um, because you actually have to have a very sophisticated knowledge of U.S. history. You have to kind of know political icons. You have to know about who, you have to know about Pinocchio, right? You got to know about this whole imaginary world of Pinocchio. Um, you have to kind of know what Game of Thrones is all about, you know, this whole imaginary world of, you know, the, the you know, the Iron Throne. And so, of course, I mean, they would have no idea what's going on. Okay, right? So here's, here's, we're in a bit of a, okay, you can take that down now. We're in a bit of a similar situation when it comes to us reading the book of Revelation. Because if we were to take a time machine back to first century, and, and, we would, and we would like, you know, read this text. In fact, when we read this text, it's like we're being transported back and it's like, man, what, is, what does this mean? And like, what is this pointing to? But those people in that day would have had a very clear idea of exactly what John is talking about. And when he's using this imagery and this thing and this thing, it's like, oh, they're connecting the dots. And it's harder for us to connect the dots. Um, and so the book of Revelation is super challenging. But when we get to the very last few pages of the Bible, we get this sort of, John gets this image, this, this, this picture of, of when, when all things are made right again. When, when God truly comes and, and brings his goodness and his peace and his rule and his, his justice, John, he, he, he gives us this vision of what it looks like. And I want to read it to you. Um, and remember, this was so helpful for the people who were in that context, facing the persecution and the shipwreck they were about to face. And so if they could, if this brought them hope, I hope it brings us hope. I hope it brings you hope in whatever you're facing, whatever shipwreck maybe you're in the middle of, maybe you're on the tail end of, maybe, maybe you don't know it yet, but you're about to go into one and you don't even know. Um, I hope this brings us hope because that's what it's designed to do. This is Revelation chapter 21, just one, verses one through eight. He says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old Earth had disappeared, and the sun was also gone I'm sorry, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the New Jerusalem, coming down from God, out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Some cool imagery there. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, "Look, God's home is now among His people. He will live with them, and they will be His people." And God himself will be with them and he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I give freely from the springs of the water of life. All, those, all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. And then it says this, But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur, this is the second death. What does all that mean? Uh, three things. First is the future joy and justice. Next is newness now. And then third is how to experience both. How to experience both of those things. Future joy and justice and newness now. Um, first, future joy and justice. Um, I, the, the ultimate picture of, of God coming and ruling and reigning is, uh, isn't it beautiful? It's it's. There's no more tears. I'm going to wipe every tear from your eye. And by the way, while I'm talking, can I get some help with my little board here? Because I'm a visual learner, all right? Is anybody else a visual learner like me? So um, I'm going to do a little drawing on the whiteboard, okay? I'm going to try to draw big uh, so that you can see in the back. But it might be hard, all right? But just listen to my words if you can't see. Um, but this picture of the end is, uh, is this picture of, of newness, of there's no more sorrow. There's no more death. There's no more crying. There's no more pain. Um, That's incredible, incredible picture. so I want to draw a picture because often, often when when people think about what Christians believe, or even in fact, maybe what maybe what you believe about what the Bible teaches, about kind of like what the big story of, of the Bible is all about, and how heaven and hell and those things kind of like all fit in, um, we tend, or, or, or people tend to believe that the story goes like this, is that, you know, here's earth, God created it, and then like sort of like here's here's our lives, and usually sort of... Uh, You know, people believe that the whole point of the Bible is that it's focused on me. It's about like what I do, what I'm supposed to be doing, Um, and that I'm supposed to live my life. And at the end, there's going to be a reckoning. There's going to be a day. And God is gonna sort of look at our lives and there's gonna be like, you know, there's gonna be times in our lives where we're above the line, like we're doing really good, we have some good behavior, we follow some, you know, we follow some laws and we we obey. But then there's times where we're not so great, you know, and then there's times that we're good and then there's, then there was college, you know. Um, <laughs> And then, you know, and then you start having kids and you start cleaning up your act, you know, so like, you know, so then you got a big, you know, upward thing. And then, you know, hopefully, hopefully it's like either you're above the line when you get to the end or maybe God's going to like sort of like use some, some math and he's going to like figure out, you know, like, you know, he's going to weigh it. And if you were good or longer, like more than you were badder, you know, then you're going to be fine. And that it's going to determine whether you're in heaven or whether or whether you're in hell. And that's what a lot of people believe. And I'm here to tell, tell you today, because I love you, <laughs> that, that that's not the story. And you might be confused because you're like, oh, man, I thought that was the story. Wait a minute. What is the story? But listen, even if you, you, know, even if you know that that's not the story, listen, your, your neighbor who, who knows that you're a Christian thinks that you think that that's the story. That they think that, that we believe that that's the picture. But really, the picture, is, it's so much bigger and better and, 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 and more filled with hope and more beautiful than that. And, you know, I mean, we, we, could, we can't even draw this stuff with pictures, but, you know, um, really what the ultimate picture, the ultimate picture of like what God wants, and this is what we see in the very, the very first few pages of the Bible, is that we have this, um, this kind of unified heaven and earth. It's the garden, <laughs> And God is with man, and, and, and there's this connection, and there's, not the, there's no separation, and it's this beautiful thing, and God is calling, has called us to be partners and, and co, you know, co-workers with him, and he's created this world, and he wants us to, to, to take it somewhere. He wants to, We've got a job to do with it, and that he's going to be our God, and we're, we're going to be his people, and we're going to obey, and we're going to trust, and things are, things are good, and that's where the first few pages of the Bible um, start. But how long does that last? right? Like two pages. That's how long this lasts. Because something happens is human beings, we, we don't, we don't, we just have this thing in us where we don't want to be told what to do. I kind of want to be my own God. I don't want to have to obey. I don't, you know, I don't want to have to trust and obey someone else. I want to trust myself. And what happens is there's this separation. And so now, so now earth and heaven are like, there's this separation that happens. And we see that happening with Adam and Eve. Remember, they, they take the fruit. They're like, hey, we're going to be our own God. And then what happens? Immediately their, their relationship with God is like, is, is, is not close anymore. They, they run and hide. And what else? What do they do with each other? They, 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 they cover themselves because now there's this separation between humanity. Because I can't trust you and you can't trust me. And so there's this separation. And all that just creates all sorts of, all sorts of craziness and ugliness and but we read the Bible, and we see that God has not abandoned us, He hasn't abandoned the world, that he 's at work, he 's doing something that there's this sort of overlap that 's always taking place, and, the, and you know the Israelites would have to go to the temple and they would have to go to the tabernacle because god 's presence was there, and there was all these animal sacrifices and and you know when you read that in the Old Testament you 're like, what, is, what are all those animals, animal sacrifices about And, and we can't, don't have time to go into it all today, but what's what 's happening is is God's sort of providing a way for us to have connection, but it's, but it's not complete yet. But then Jesus comes. Jesus comes and he does something that we couldn't do for ourselves. And because of the cross and because of the, open, the empty tomb, because of the resurrection, uh, the, the, the resurrection, that something is happening now where, where God is at work, God is at work bringing this back together. And the ultimate picture that we get in the book of Revelation, is a new heaven and a new earth, renewed, made new. And if you remember last week, we sort of, uh, you know, we sort of talked about some of these, some of these things that God's gonna make it. And do you remember what it said in the in the scripture? Remember what it said? Uh, it said that there's gonna be, and the sea was also gone. Remember it says there's gonna be no sea. All the Christian surfers all over the world are super bummed about that. They were really hoping there would be lots of awesome surfing um, in heaven. But you know what? That. You know, this doesn't necessarily mean that there's, that there's no, you know, it doesn't mean that there's no water, that there's no big bodies of H2O molecules. Like, it's, it's not necessarily trying to tell us that. That if we knew sort of the ancient world, we knew that the Israelites, that they regarded the sea as being a, a, a very dangerous place. The sea was sort of a theme for chaos. The sea was a place that you just, you just didn't wanna go because who knows, who knows what was gonna happen. Maybe that was because they marched through the Red Sea and after that whole ordeal, they just didn't, they just didn't like the ocean at that point, right? Um, but, uh, but when it says, when the scripture says it, and there's no longer any sea, well, I mean, that's telling us something. It's telling us that in this new heaven and earth, all is right. There's no more chaos. There's no more tears. There's no more pain. There's no more hurt. So this is the world that God is taking us to. But there's a problem. There's a really big problem. And this is where we got we have to start to talk about hell. And I know, and in the scripture that I read, you know, it sort of mentioned that lake of burning sulfur at the end. And whenever that's a conversation killer right there, always. It's like, oh man, what what what, why are we talking about that? But you guys know that God, God doesn't like hell. Sometimes we get this picture of, you know, God sending people to hell, you know, like just grabbing people and like, oh, you were below the line and I'm going to get you my pretty and your little dog too, you know, and God is just grabbing people and just like throw them in. And he's like, well, you had your chance too late. And they're like, going, no, no, no. And God's like, sorry, you know, you made your bed. So you got to sleep in it. We just get this picture of hell and God doing that. And that's it's not what the scripture's telling us. God hates hell. And hell is a, is a it's, it's real, it's a real place. But, you know, what we see all throughout scripture is that when we rebelled, that what we introduced into the world was, was hell. Hell is a future reality, but it's a present reality too. That when we, when we live our lives with pride, when we, when we look down our noses at other people, when we, when we think we're better than others, when we, when we just are seeking for control, whatever, whatever it is, is that hell is like, it's like it's growing in us and, it's just, and it leaks out everywhere. And just look at the news. Just at any point in any day, just look at the news and what do you see? You see hell on earth. You see it just coming out everywhere. And this is because what we've. This is because of our sin, our brokenness, our, our desire to want to be in control on our own. That what we have this tendency to do is we have a tendency to put any other things at the center of our lives other than God. And I believe that if I could just if I could just um, you know if I could just have that job I'll be okay. If I could just have that wife or husband I'll be okay. If I could just if I could just have that this stuff if I could just afford that I'd be okay. And we put those things at the center of our lives, but those none of those things were designed to to drive the center of our lives. When we put anything else at the center of our lives, even good things, even beautiful things that God made, nothing, our lives were not created to function with anything else at the center of it. You remember that movie um, with Shia LaBeouf and Tom Hardy uh, called Lawless? I don't know if you remember that. It's a, it a movie about some bootleggers, you know, and they're making, they're making uh, moonshine up in, the, up in the hills and they're driving a car somewhere and they run out of gas and they really need to get somewhere. And so what they do is they just get into the trunk and get some moonshine and just put it in the gas tank. And, uh, beca- and, and it works for a, little, for a little while. It works for a little while, but, it, but it, the engine isn't made to run on moonshine. And your engine wasn't made to run on anything else. You put anything else at the center, and you know what it does? It's, it starts to stoke a fire within you. It starts to create decay in you. And it might start small at the beginning, but, it, but it, it, it'll, it'll grow and it'll grow if it's not dealt with. And just changing behavior won't do it because you can change all sorts of behavior and it doesn't necessarily change the heart. We need, we need new hearts. We need these hearts of stone to re- be replaced with hearts of flesh. And so what's God gonna do? What's God, God gonna do? Because this is the world that he wants. This is what he wants for us. No crying, no tears. But as we said last week, and I got to dip into last week, so we've got this this hell in our world and in us. And you know what? Because God's loving, because he's good, because he's gracious, God sort of has to act like a bouncer a little bit. Because hell doesn't get to come in here. It doesn't get to come in here. And that's a loving God that does that. And I'll use the same illustration that I used last week because it's, it's a good one. Are you angry about human trafficking? I hope you are. If you're not angry about human trafficking, there's something wrong with you. If you're not angry at little boys and little girls being sexually abused, chained to beds, used, that makes God angry. That doesn't get to come into the new creation. So God is going to be a God of justice. Sometimes we, we take away God's anger at sin because we think it makes him, makes him more palatable and more nice. But you take away God's anger at sin, and actually you make him worse. You don't make him nicer. You make him worser. You make him meaner. Because here's a God who, who, who now he's not angry at sin. Of course he's angry at sin. And any we're all angry at sin. Why would we expect God not to be? God's, God's not going to let that in. And you might be saying, well, I'm not a human trafficker, so I should be fine. But listen, God, no, God, in you, in me, is the seed for human trafficking. In you and in me is the seed for murder. In you and in me is the seeds for racism. They're in us. And so we want God to, like, do something about it, but we want God to do things about it everywhere else. But not in, God, just look over there, but please don't look in here. <laughs> Don't, don't judge me. Don't look in here. And so we hold him at a double standard. And so what's God supposed to do? Well, what God's going to do is he, he's going to make all things right. He's going to be just. And we don't understand how he's going to do that. But when we get to the new creation, here's the picture that we get. Hell, hell doesn't get to be there. Racism doesn't get to be there. Sex trafficking doesn't get to be there. Anger, lust, pride, all this sinness, it doesn't get to be there. And so this is one of the reasons why, you know, Jesus talks a lot about hell. Do you know that? And when Jesus uses the word hell, he uses often the word Gehenna. And Gehenna was this literal place in Jesus's day that was outside the city. It was this burning sort of like trash heap outside the city. And so Jesus, he's using the language of, listen, I'm making a new heaven and a new earth. And Hell doesn't get to be there. It's going to be outside the city. It's going to outside outside the new Jerusalem, the new heaven and earth. This is God's goodness. And so where does this leave us? Well, um, it means that uh, something's got to be done about this, this stuff in us that tends to grow. And if it's left to grow unchecked, then it will turn into hell. And the best the best. The best quote I've got is from C.S. Lewis, and I checked, I haven't used a C.S. Lewis quote in like six months, so I'm due, okay, I'm due. Um, here we go, so here's uh, C.S. Lewis, so brilliant, here's what he says. He says, Christianity asserts that we're gonna go, we're gonna go on forever and that, and that must either be true or false. Now there's a great many things that wouldn't be worth bothering about if I was only going to live 80 years or so, <clears throat> but I had better bother about if I'm going to go on living forever. Perhaps my bad temper or my jealousy are getting worse so gradually that the increase in my lifetime will not be very noticeable. But it might be absolute hell in a million years. In fact, if Christianity is true, hell is precisely the correct technical term for it. Because hell begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others, but you're still distinct from it. You may even criticize it in yourself and wish you could stop it, but there, are, but there may come a day when you can, where you can no longer. Then there will be no you left to criticize the mood or even to enjoy it, but just the grumble itself going on and on forever like a machine. It's not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there is something growing, which w- will be hell unless it's, ri- it's nipped in the bud. That's good. And thankfully, there's hope, because when Jesus came and paid for our sins on the cross and rose again, he, he gave us, he nipped it in the bud. When we see his grace, it gives us precisely what we need most, and gives us new hearts. It transforms us, it changes us from the inside out. That's a beautiful, beautiful hope that we have. It's a great, great message. But listen, that's the future joy, and, and that's the future justice, but then we also get something present. We get something now. We get newness now. And do you notice what it said in verse five? I'll put it up on the screen. In verse five, here's what it says. It says, and the one sitting on the throne says this, says, look, I am, I am making all things new. What's beautiful about this passage is the beginning part is, is just, it's talking about future. I will wipe every tear from every eye and then it shifts and it gives us this beautiful promise that God says listen I can't wipe every tear from every eye yet but you know what I can do right now is I am at work making all things new guys if if the tomb really is empty then God can be at work making all things new this might be exactly why you're here today. This might be exactly what you need to hear today. I don't know your story, but listen, for some of you, your marriage is, is on the ropes. You've done so much hurt and, and you've said so many things to one another that your marriage is hanging by a thread. And you have prayed prayers. You said, God, could, is there a way that we can just hit the reset button? Is there a way that we can just start over? Is there a way? God, I need you to do a miracle right now. Listen, listen, listen. God is making all things new. He can make your marriage new. Do you know that? He can make your marriage new. Some of your bodies are withering away. You've got chronic pain. You've got hurt. There's there's things happening in your body. Listen, God can break into that and he can make all things new. He can make your body new. Don't you want newness? Don't, don't we need fresh starts? I mean, don't all of us? You look at your life, and there's just something going on that you wish just could just be made new again, because it's just it's gotten old and tired. Or maybe you just maybe you need your faith reignited again, because maybe you were in high school and you went to camp, or you were in college, or maybe it was or maybe it was just in your younger days and you had this passion, this fire for God, but you're sitting here tonight or this morning and you're and you're and you just feel like the, there's no more fire. You're just like, where'd that passion go? Listen, God from the throne says, I am making all things new. He can make it come alive again. He can blow on those embers and reignite that faith in you, that, that passion in you again. He is making all things new because the tomb is empty. He can do that. I don't know where you, where you need that applied to your life today but I have a feeling that every single one of us, every single one of us has a relationship that's fractured right now. You've got somebody that you've had trouble forgiving. You've had, you have somebody that you're holding bitterness to, a bitterness against, and it's poisoning you, it's poisoning the relationship. It might even be poisoning your family. And you don't even, you don't necessarily even know it, but you don't have eyes to see it, but it's, but you know what you need? You need, you need to, that relationship needs to be made new. And God is crying out, I will make all things new. Lastly, lastly, oh, guys, this is good. I've never seen this before until, until I was just studying for for this passage today. But the point three is how do you experience these things? How do you experience future joy and justice and newness now? Um, <clears throat> here's the good news is that it's, it's not on your own efforts. And it's not on your own moral performance. Do you know that? That's not how you experience it. It's just by trying harder and doing gooder. Oh, man, it's so much better than that. That's not the answer. But you would say, wait a minute, didn't, didn't he list a whole bunch of like no good, no good doers, you know, like in the, in the passage here? Didn't he say this? I'll read it to you. He says, but cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars. Burning lake of sulfur. <laughs> It's like, so God, that must mean then that, you know, uh, that, that that means that the, the courageous, the, the believers of right doctrine, the, the non-murderers, I don't know how you call that, just the people who don't murder people. the, the, you know, the sexually pure, the, you know, the truth tellers, the church attenders, you know, that certainly then if it means that those people don't get to get into the new creation, then that means that there should be a list of all the people who should get into the new creation and it should be based on their performance. Like they're the courageous and the believing and they believe all the right stuff and they don't murder and they're sexually pure and they tell the truth. But you know what? That passage doesn't give us that list at all. You notice that? It doesn't give us it doesn't give us that, that map. Do you know what it says? Do you know it, the, it says it in that passage. You, who gets to drink from the water of life? Can we can we I think it's verse 6. Who gets to all who are Oh man, that's good news. Guess who gets to drink from the water of life? All who are thirsty. Thirsty. Wasn't Jesus walking around just meeting all sorts of people who were great rule followers, but their hearts were far from him? And then he would meet people who were not, you know, sort of like the the people that you would think would be like the the good people in society, but, but they were coming to Jesus and Jesus was meeting their needs. He was healing them and he was looking at them. And guess what they were? They were thirsty. They were just thirsty for Jesus. They were the ones that recognized, God, I can't do it on my own. I need you. I've tried and i failed. And so God, I'm coming to you. That's, that's who gets, that, that's the person whose heart then begins to get transformed. That's what you need. That's the only thing you need is you just need a thirst and a hunger for God. Do you have that today? Do you want that today? Let's come to the throne today, to the throne of the God who says, I make all things new. And would we come with our thirst today? Would we come with our hunger today? And say, God, we need you. We love you. Meet us here. And so, listen, band, I'm going to invite you to come up. And we're going to close. And uh, I'm, I'm looking at the clock, and I'm good on time. Amen. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. I am done. Hey, stop clapping. Stop clapping. Come on. Come on. Oh, I didn't ask for that. Um because I wanna give us a little room to, and we have, I wanna give us some room just to breathe and to respond. That's what, how I wanna close. We're ending this sermon series, you know, we've talked about the resurrection. Um, I've given some, some, some moments throughout the series to say, hey, if you wanna follow Jesus, today's your day. Just just admit you're hungry and thirsty for him and just and jump on board. I mean, this is, this, is one of, this is the best news that we could hear, that our God loves us and he loves you and he cares for you and he's making all things new. And uh, I've given some of those opportunities, but, but, but maybe you're here today and you need that opportunity today. You need to come take communion and you need to say, God, I thirst for you. God, I'm, I'm, I love you. I recognize what you've done for me. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe today, I don't know. Guys, listen, I don't know. Maybe today while we sing this song and take communion, maybe you need to get on your knees somewhere. That's not weird at all. <laughs> that might actually be exactly what you need. You need to like get on your knees and put your elbows on one of these chairs and just have a moment and say, God, fill me again. Make all things new again. I'm coming to you again. Thank you for your faithfulness in the midst of my unfaithfulness. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe you need to find somebody in the room that you're holding something against and you just need to go take communion and go to them and say, hey, let's make this right. I don't know. Maybe today you need to become a Christian for reals. Maybe you've been at church for a long time, but it's all been behavior, and you thought that the, you know, the top part of the picture that I drew was the story. And you've just been trying to be good and trying to end your life above the line. And maybe you're getting a glimpse today that it's, man, it's so much bigger than that. It's so much better than that. That he loves you and he wants to make all things new. He's at work right now in your life. He wants to do something about the hell that you maybe you've created or other people have created in your life that you had no, you had nothing to say about it, but you're just inherited this this hellish thing in your family history or something, and and you just want God to touch it and, and, and expose it and just do something about it. Guys, listen, He will, He can. The the tomb is empty. He makes all things new. And so we're gonna sing. And on either side of the room is communion bread and the cup, Jesus' broken body and blood. It symbolizes those things, and it's a way for us to put something in our hands and say, God, thank you for what you've done. And so I just want to invite you to respond. Also, while we sing, I've got uh, over at the prayer sign over there, there's going to be a few people over there, and if you just, you don't know what else to do, but you feel like you just need somebody to pray for you, then please, go get prayer. Go just talk to somebody, whatever you need. Let's just create some space today respond to our God who makes all things new. Amen. Amen.